What a great time, and I, I, I tell you, I, I'm thankful for you praying for, the, uh, for children's camp. I know you did that at 1 o'clock for one minute. You prayed for children's camp, and, and uh, it was so wonderful to see so many of our leaders, uh, counselors, junior counselors, uh, those who went in support of what we saw God do at children's camp. I'm thankful for Julie Hunt, uh, who is our minister of children. She has done a tremendous job. And uh, camp this week, uh, honestly, I think it was the best I've ever been to, and I've been to them all uh, for the last 15 years. And, and I'm telling you, it was spectacular. 28 children came to faith in Jesus Christ at children's camp, and uh, we rejoice in that. This afternoon, uh, we're going to have beach baptism, right? Beach baptism down at... Uh, uh, little Neck, uh, little, little, little Island, Little Neck, First Neck, First Landing, whatever that says up on the screen, that's where we're going to be. Shelters 1 and 2 uh, at, down at Sandbridge. Uh, we're going to get there around 4 o'clock. I want you to be there by 4. We're going to have a great time. Uh, we provide chicken. You bring other stuff. Uh, so if somebody would please bring some chocolate chip cookies, that'd be great. No, I'm serious. Somebody bring chocolate chip cookies, okay? Uh, no, I'm serious. No, we'll, we, we'll provide some chicken and we'll have a great time. But most importantly, uh, we're going to baptize those who raise the banner and say, I belong to Jesus for the very first time. Those who are followers of Christ, following him in believer's baptism. Now, uh, First Baptist Norfolk, along with most every Baptist church that has that name in it, uh, and many churches that don't, we practice what is known as believer's baptism. Now, believer's baptism is different uh, than perhaps the baptism that you've experienced. Baptism, uh, for many of you, is perhaps something that happened when you were a little child or uh, a baby, and that's, that's one thing, okay? And that's over here in this category. We practice believer's baptism, and that's a different category. Believer's baptism is what we do to publicly declare our personal commitment to be a follower of Jesus. Now, obviously, when you were a child uh, or uh, when you were an infant, you, you weren't able to make that personal commitment. Maybe you did when you went through confirmation classes or something like that, or maybe it was a little bit later where you determined personally that you're going to be a follower of Jesus. And, and so the way we practice baptism here is after that personal commitment that you make, out of obedience to God, uh, we are baptized as a believer. It is our public declaration, I belong to Jesus. It's us putting on the uniform of a Christ follower. And so uh, perhaps you're here today and, and, and you know, hey, listen, I've not been baptized as a believer, but today's the day for you to do that, okay? I want to encourage you to at least think about that over the next uh, few minutes. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, if you uh, say, you know, I really do need to be baptized as a believer, come on out about 3.30. If you come to uh, to uh, shelters one and two around 3.30. We'd love to talk with you more about that. Or following this worship gathering, if you want to meet uh, with me and others in the Live the Mission Center at our guest reception, just tell us, hey, I think I may need to be baptized as a believer. We'll help 
walk through that with you and, and, and take great joy in doing that. But we're going to be baptizing 30 or 40 people uh, or more, uh, depending on how God moves. Uh, and it's going to be an exciting time. By the way, the rain is going to move south of us. We're not going to have a stitch of rain. It's going to be spectacular. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet, but I can look at a radar screen just like anybody else. And that rain is moving south of us. So we're going to be just fine. And it's going to be a great time. You don't want to miss it. It is a great celebration uh, and a great uh, gathering for us as a church. So uh, you come uh, to uh, Beach Baptism. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 John. Uh, these next uh, several weeks, we're going to be looking uh, at not really at a sermon series, more at different passages. Today, we're looking at 2 John. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at 3 John. And then the next week, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, okay? So uh, just to kind of give you a heads up where we're heading over in the next few weeks. Uh, today is 2 John, next week is 3 John, and the next week is Romans 13, 11 through 14. Now, all of them are connected thematically. There's a theme that, that ties them together, but not enough to where you'd want to make a sermon series out of it. Each one of these individual messages uh, specifically um, to address us as a body of believers called First Norfolk. So Second uh, John, uh, and they're just 13 verses, uh, just one chapter, uh, and, you know, so it's not, not that confusing, just 13 verses. We're going to do the whole book today. Isn't that great? Aren't you excited? You're going to have one book that you have studied completely in God's Word, and you'll be able to walk out of here and say, man, I studied that book. And, uh, and, and, and I've actually read an entire book of the Bible. Let's, let's read the 13 verses, okay? Uh, I'm reading out of the New King James Version, and I'll, I'll add a little commentary as I go, like I'm apt to do. Uh, just important to get some context there. Uh, 2 John chapter 1, verse 1. The elder. All right, let me stop. Okay, so when he says the elder, you might say, well, what is that? Well, that is a term of, uh, uh, of maturity. This is the picture of a pastor. Elder and pastor uh, are somewhat synonymous in the New Testament. Uh, but who is the elder? Well, the elder is the guy named John, okay? This is the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. This is the guy who wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And this is the guy who wrote uh, the book of Revelation. This is John, the brother of James, one of the sons of, Ze uh, uh, of Thunder. Uh, this is John, the beloved disciple. Uh, this is one of the 12 that followed Jesus. Uh, we see him in the book of Acts, uh, and he's running around with Peter, uh, standing up to the Sanhedrin, God doing great and mighty things through him. But this is John who became pastor. And he became pastor of uh, primarily the church in Ephesus. And he had a great heart for the church of, church of Ephesus. So when he says the elder, he's talking about John the apostle, okay? The elder to the elect lady. Okay, let me stop here. All right, to the elect lady and her children. Now, the elect lady and her children, what's that? Well, some over time have thought, well, maybe this is John talking to uh, a, an actual lady in a church and her kids. Uh, but most uh, students of Scripture believe that the elect lady is a way for John to talk with endearing terms about the church that he loves, 
okay? So elect lady is like bride of Christ, okay? Y'all have heard the, the, that, that imagery for the church, the bride of Christ. That's kind of the imagery that he's painting here, the elect lady, the, the, the special lady, the chosen lady. He's talking about the church at Ephesus. And, and I believe that he's talking about the fir- church at First Norfolk. It, it, it is the elect lady called First Norfolk. And her children. Now, children could be the members of that church, or it could be uh, the different church plants that have sprung from that church in Ephesus. All right? So we've dealt with that. So uh, this is John the Elder writing to the church at Ephesus, which he called the elect lady and her children. And then he starts, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love. That we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Now, that in it, at the end of verse 6, what is the in it? Well, it is to love one another. So let me read that again. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. That's plural. This is the commandment, singular, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in loving one another. Verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who uh, do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is deceiver and antichrist. Look to yourselves, and I'd underline that. Look to yourselves. Uh, another way to say that is consider yourself or uh, take a long, hard look at yourself. Um, those are, the, and that really is the application um, as we uh, walk through this simple uh, letter and simple application. Uh, really, it becomes let's take a long, hard look at ourselves. Okay, Uh, look to yourselves that we do not lose the things that we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ. Now, what is the doctrine of Christ? Well, just a few moments ago in verse 7, he says, there are many deceivers who've gone out in the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. So what these deceivers do, they were, they were, part of the church at one time. They were saved in the church or they were baptized in the church, but somewhere along the line, they stopped believing that Jesus is God and always has been God and became a man, okay? It's called the incarnation. That's the official theological term. But these deceivers who practice uh, who um, are, are practitioners of the Antichrist, they deny who Jesus is. They deny that Jesus is and always has been God and became fully man, fully God, fully man. This is what they deny. And so in verse, uh, 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 verse uh, n- uh, 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ 
does not have God. All right, so let me stop right here and let me just say something very clearly, okay? And I want you to hear this. If you do not believe that Jesus is God and became a man, fully God and fully man, you are not a follower of Jesus. Okay, I just want to say that, and I say that boldly because that's what this passage says. Okay, that's what this verse says, all right? I'm not, I'm not making this up, and I'm not putting any extra law on you. I'm just saying this is, this is what God's Word says. If you do not believe that Jesus is and always has been God who became man, flesh and bone, fully God, fully man, then you are not a Christian. Okay? I say it because I love you. Okay? But you need to know that. There are things that make us a Christian and things that we can believe that make us not Christians. That's something if we believe, if we don't believe in the incarnation, then we are not followers of Jesus. If we don't believe Jesus is fully God and fully man who died on the cross for our sin and was raised three days later, um, fully God yet fully man, then we're not a Christian. We do not, as John writes, he says, you do not have God. Verse 9, he goes on, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, in other words, if you have a teacher that comes to teach a Bible study and he does not believe that Jesus is God become flesh, then don't have anything to do with him. Okay? If you have a teacher that comes and, say, and, and, and does not teach that Jesus is God become flesh, don't receive him into your house nor greet him. Uh, if, if there's a teacher that comes, if I'm a teacher and I don't believe that Jesus is and always has been God and became flesh and bone, then you should get rid of me immediately without delay. Don't have me over to your house. Don't fix me any chicken dinner. Don't have anything to do with me because I'm pretending to be a teacher of Jesus, and yet I'm not teaching Jesus, and I'm leading people astray, okay? All right. Um, and then verse 11, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Verse 12, having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. Now, underline that our joy may be full. Verse 13, the children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Now, uh, purpose in verse uh, 12, that our joy may be full. So John is writing to lead the church to joy, okay, that our joy may be full. He's writing, and then he's going to come face to face so that they might share in joy. And that's really what we want. I mean, we want to experience joy. How many of y'all have been sick this week? Anybody been sick? Anybody had a migraine? Anybody, anybody had the flu this week or had the sniffles or allergies or anything? I mean, different levels of sick. How many of y'all have uh, been sick this year? Been sick this year. Okay. Uh, Got to tell you, 930 worship gathering was a lot healthier than this one, but that's okay. Um, all right, now listen. When you've had a sickness and you go back to the doctor and the doctor says, you're all healed, 
you don't have that sickness anymore, or you have the flu and you take the z pack and you have to sleep it off, or if you have a migraine and you get flu. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm not a very smart guy. Several years ago, Edie, uh, my wife, uh, had a migraine. She ha- I don't have migraines. She does, and, and she had a migraine, and, and, and she was like, Eric, I need to go to the emergency room. I am dying here. I, I, I need to go to the emergency room. And I'm like, it's a headache, right? And, 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 and she said, no, no, I, I need to go to the emergency room, and I need for them to help me. And I'm like, well, honey, I just ordered pizza. And I kid you not, that's exactly what I said. You can ask any of my daughters. I just ordered pizza. Dumb as mud. And, and uh, we eventually got to the emergency room uh, for me after she beat me. No, I'm just kidding. I, uh, we did go to the emergency room. It, it was rugged. And, and, and so if you, if you live with migraines, I mean, you know when, when the migraine is gone, when the flu is gone, when the fever subsides and you are better and the sickness is gone, there is great joy. There is a happy dance waiting to happen. And you are excited. You, are, you feel human again. Um, as John writes, he wants joy to invade the church because the church is healthy. He wants joy to invade the lives of the members of the church because they are healthy. I mean, this is a function of a pastor's heart. This is, this is a pastor who loves his, his, his church, the church that God has given him to be an under-shepherd toward. He says, I love you in truth. I love you. I rejoice greatly that many of you are walking in truth. I love you. I long to meet you face to face so we can have joy together. And John had a heart that beat with love for the congregation and content. Can I tell you that that's my heart for you? I want you to just kind of look at me right now and I want you to hear me. I love you. I love you in a way that only a pastor can love you. I love you with all my heart and my heart's desire for you is that you would be healthy. And that any symptoms of spiritual sickness in your soul would be identified and healed. I love you. And I want you individually. I'm not talking about just First Norfolk. I love First Norfolk. But I'm talking about you. I long for you to be spiritually healthy. And so God gives us this word today from this letter that John writes to the elect lady. And in this letter, John gives us two ingredients for a healthy church, a healthy life. You you hear it even in the first uh, few words, first first few verses. Um, Again, look look at first three verses. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. Not only I, but also those who have known the truth. Because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. What do you think the two ingredients are? Truth and love. 
two ingredients that lead us to health as followers of Jesus, as, as the church, and it's truth and love. Truth and love are two threads that bind our hearts to the heart of God, truth and love. The deceivers in verses 7, 8, and 9 and, and 10, they, they had abandoned the truth. They had denied the truth, the truth about Jesus. They had denied that Jesus is God become flesh. They had left the truth. In many ways, they left love as well. Uh, Truth and love are two threads that bind our hearts, your heart to the Father, my heart to the Father. But truth and love are also the two threads that bind our hearts together as the church. And if we cut either of those threads, if we cut either truth off or love off, we are sick in our soul. You're a follower of Jesus. That means that you must walk in truth and love. Not one or the other, both and. So let's look at these two ingredients. The first one is to walk in truth. If we're going to be healthy and experience joy as followers of Jesus and joy as a church, if we're going to be a healthy church, then we must walk in truth. We see this in verse 4. I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. You go down to verse 6. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. So what is he talking about when he talks about walking in truth? Well, to walk in truth, uh, walk is, a, is an idiom. It's a Hebrew figure of speech that uh, means this is the conduct of your life. This is the way of your life. This is the habit of your life. This is the discipline of your life. If you exercise every day and you know that between 6 and 7 a.m., you're going to find Billy Boy Boy out there exercising, doing uh, jumping jacks or calisthenics. (laughs) You still do Jack LaLanne calisthenics. Uh, Billy Boy is going to be exercising. That's what he does every day. Many of you ask why I can eat so many desserts. Uh, If you follow me on Facebook, you know I love desserts. And the reason I can eat desserts is because I exercise every day. There's uh, some exercises that I do that, uh, and the only reason I do those exercises, please understand, I'm not trying to look buff or anything. The only reason I do those exercises is so I can eat those desserts. That's it. That is the only reason I'm doing those exercises. But I do those exercises every day so I can eat those desserts. And that's a way of life for me. It's a discipline. It's a habit. All right? That's what it means to walk. Uh, it's a Hebrew figure. speech so says this is the way of your life. It, it's a path that you walk. Now, what is the path that you're walking? It is truth. So we have to ask the question, what is truth? And truth is what God says. That's truth. And it's absolute and it's eternal, and it's forever. And it doesn't bend to the cultural norms or the philosophical preferences of the day. Truth is what God says. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 160, Psalm 119, verse 160, 
The psalmist says, the entirety, O God, the entirety of your word is truth. You want to know what truth is? You look to God's word. And God's word is absolute truth. That absolute truth comes to us supremely at the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus declared in John chapter 5, verse 39, he said, all of this scripture that you're searching points to him. All the scripture that is the truth of God finds its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. Our access to the truth, the absolute truth, comes through Jesus himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to know truth, then you've got to know Jesus. Jesus shows us the absolute truth of God. Now, that's why it's important for us to understand that if God's word says that homosexuality is a sin, then homosexuality is a sin, regardless of the culture in which we live. If the Bible says that being a busybody is a sin, being a busybody is a sin, regardless of whether you enjoy it or not. If the Bible says that lying is a sin, then lying is a sin. And if we want to experience health in our life, then we must, verse 8, look at our ways. Uh, In my driveway, there are several cars. I have four daughters and and my wife and myself, and we all drive, uh, you know, at some point in time. And so we have several cars. And when my girls started driving, they would get in the car and they would drive it. And it's a car that's new to them. And and uh, invariably, they'll drive the car, and all of a sudden, I get this emergency text or phone call, uh, panic-stricken voice on the other end, Daddy, Daddy, the uh, engine light just came on. And I'm like, well, oh, that doesn't matter. <laughs> but Daddy, it's the engine light. It's, 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 it's got that yellowish color or orangish color. It's, it's, it's on, and, and, and doesn't that mean that something's sick? Oh, no, no, honey, that's just a scam that the manufacturer of the car created in order to make me spend money on, on parts and labor that don't need to be done. It doesn't mean anything. Ignore that. That's just, that, that's just an engine warning light, but it doesn't really mean anything. Well, obviously, my girls are right, and I'm wrong. That engine light does mean something. I wish it didn't come on when the catalytic converter was not working up to snuff, but hey, that's okay. But, but that engine light coming on means that there's something sick in the engine. When, when John says, look at yourselves, he's saying, let the Spirit of God examine your heart and don't ignore the warning sign that he gives. So here's the question. Are you walking in truth? Are you walking in truth? Is the habit of your life, the discipline of your life, the the conduct of your life, the pathway that you're walking, is it in the absolute truth of God's Word and in sync with Jesus Christ? To walk in truth, and I want you to hear this, to walk in truth simply means that I adjust everything about me 
my desires, my ambitions, even my emotions. I adjust who I am in order to match what God says in his word. I don't try to adjust God's word to fit what I want, but rather I adjust what I want to fit what God's word says. To walk in truth means that I adjust my life to, to fit God's word, and I walk in sync with who Jesus is, in concert with him. So that engine light, the engine of your soul, is it flashing right now? Are you walking in truth? So one ingredient to a healthy church is not you get it your way or I get it my way. That's Burger King. What leads the church to joy, what leads the church to health and then to joy is that we walk in truth, that we adjust our life to fit God's word, to follow God's word. But not only must we walk in truth, but we also must love one another. Verse 5, I plead with you, lady. Now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. I'm not going to belabor this, but the the meaning of being a follower of Jesus is that we walk in truth, and the meaning of being a follower of Jesus is that we love one another. That we love one another the way Jesus has loved us. To love one another is to follow the command. In fact, you can have truth and not love, and you have neither. I want you to hear this. Uh, we say, oh, I believe in the doctrine of Christ, or I believe I have good, right doctrine, I have good, right teaching, I believe it, but you don't love others, then you failed the premier command that God gives us, which is to love him and love others. And if you fail in loving others, then you're not walking in the truth. You know, listen, if you fail at loving others, you're not walking in the truth. To love one another means that I live in relationship with you the way Jesus did. The measure is how Jesus died on a cross for sinners. Now, I, I don't have a cross in front of me, and I don't have to carry that burden, but I can tell you that my attitude must be the same as Jesus when I think about how I'm to relate to you and those around me. I must give myself away to bless you. That's why love isn't an emotion. Love is, love is an action. It isn't merely an emotion. It's not merely how I feel. It's what I do. It's how I behave. And the behavior that love one another demands is that I'm tenderhearted and that I'm kind and that I'm forgiving, just as God in Christ also forgave me. That I live this life of love as a dearly loved child of God who loved me and gave himself up for me, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. 
Yeah, Ephesians 4.32 through 5.1 and 2 tells us how we're supposed to love. Be kind. Do you know being kind is a function of love? Some of you are just jerks. Don't be that. Don't be a jerk to your husband. Don't be a jerk to your wife. Don't be a jerk to your children. We just had a great week at children's camp, and we come home, and, and all the kids, one kid in particular, just, I mean, he just had a great time. He was smiling, and his uh, parent came in and uh, was perturbed about something and snapped at that little boy, and that little boy just started crying. That breaks my heart. That, that's being a jerk to your child. Don't do that. That's not loving others. That shows a sickness here. The engine light is flashing. It's me saying to my wife, I just ordered pizza. What's wrong with you? Headache? What? It's being a jerk. Shows a sickness here. Be kind and compassionate. Compassionate. Do you feel for others? The way Christ felt for you, so much so that he would die for your sin upon a cross. Be compassionate. Be kind, compassionate, tenderhearted. Having sympathy and empathy for those around us. Don't have it all together, but man, they're struggling. Do you have sympathy and empathy for them? Be kind, compassionate, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. If you're holding bitterness in your heart, then you're not loving one another the way Christ has loved you. Forgiving one another just as God in Christ also forgave you. And live this life of love as dearly loved children. We must love one another. By the way, again, these are two threads. You can't have one without the other. If you have love without truth, you have sentimental nothingness. If you have truth without love, you have a hard-hearted legalism that doesn't bring honor to God. Truth and love go hand in glove. And that's what leads to health in your family, at your job, in our church, in your life. If your life's out of sync... Let's start with these two ingredients. Am I walking in truth? Am I loving others? If your family relationships are out of sync, then then let's start with those. Am I walking in truth and am I loving others? If, If the church is out of sync, let's begin with these two ingredients. Are we walking in truth and am I loving others? Let's let's evaluate based upon God's word and let the Spirit of God flash the engine warning sign. Am I sick? If so, then today, would you turn from the deception of living life outside the truth of God? Would you be willing to stop trying to excuse loveless living as though it were your right? Would you make a commitment today to walk in truth and to love one another? I want to end with the words of Jesus. In John chapter 15, beginning in verse 9, Jesus said, 
As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. You abide in my love when you obey my commands, just as I abide in my Father's love as I obeyed his commands. These things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another even as I have loved you. Would you bow your heads, please? This morning, the question that comes to us that the Spirit of God applies to our hearts right now is, am I walking in truth? And by the way, walking in truth means that I'm obeying God's commands. I'm delighting in those commands. Am I walking in truth? Am I loving one another? And maybe right now the Spirit of God is pinpointing places in you that demonstrate a lack of loving one another or demonstrate a lack of walking in truth. But whichever way that goes, will you take the time this morning to turn from whatever diversion you have and return to these two ingredients of health. Will you make a commitment as the Spirit of God reveals to you, will you make a commitment to walk in truth and to walk in love? These next few moments, obviously the altar is always going to be open here, uh, and there's always an invitation for anyone to come who has questions about their spiritual journey. Maybe you, you want to be baptized today as a believer at the beach, and and you want to talk about that, uh, I'll be up here, ministers will be up here, and we'd love to answer any questions that you have and pray over you. But really what I want to encourage you to do, don't stand unless God just leads you to stand. Don't, don't uh, get distracted with words, but the song that we close with today says, search me, know me, Try me and see any worthless affection hidden in me. All I'm asking for is that you know me, Lord. To show me, Lord, that this is the prayer that I want to encourage you to pray. Oh, Spirit of God, will you flash the engine light of my soul to warn me of any sickness that I have? May I... Return that sickness to you and commit to walk in truth and in love. So, Father, in these next few moments, will you speak to your people? And may they take this song as the prayer of their heart to you. And may you show us where we're not walking in truth or in love. And may you lead us to soak in your love that we might share it with others, to walk in your truth that we might tell it to others. 
so that we might be healthy, so that we might have joy. Now speak, O Spirit of God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.